We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's happening, guys? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. No Pete today, but Darius is here to help me celebrate Kobe Day. Oh, my name is Mike, by the way. So, Darius, my the way that I like to celebrate Kobe's birthday is to pick an old game from the past. And Kobe's birthday, of course, a day before Kobe Day. And I decided to go through game four of the 2000 finals against Indiana. I was at the time a freshman in college and watching the game probably at least a bit passively while studying for finals and doing stuff like this. At the time, I was a huge NBA fan. Um, I, I was transitioning from you know, Jordan was always there. The, the Timberwolves were starting to get a little bit interesting under KG, but not really. Uh, but I so I would watch, of course, all of the finals games. But you probably watched this game as if your life depended upon it. At the time, the Lakers had yet to win a title with Kobe and Shaq, um, of course. And I don't know the degree to which pressure was mounting to do so. Uh, they, they of course, brought in Phil Jackson. Like, where where was your mindset? Oh, uh, by the way, Game 7, Portland. Like, right? It had been a crazy yeah, Western yeah. conference. So you, uh, you probably were pretty queued up for this game, I imagine. To set the stage even a little bit more, Game 4, the game that you watched, Kobe had just missed a game. And basically almost missed the better part of two games, right? Yeah, because of Jalen Rose, right? Jalen yes. Rose later admitted that he intentionally slid his foot under Kobe's landing spot area in game two when Kobe only played nine minutes. The OG Pachulia, like Zaza did a Jalen Rose really on Kawhi. So anyways, where was my mind at? It's a tricky thing because they were mounting towards things and – the win over Portland was in game seven was this massive hurdle. This idea of like, oh, they're in the finals. But at that point, at the, when they were in the finals, I actually felt like they were the better team and that they did sort of have this sense of team of destiny a little bit to me. And so I was, if there were nerves at that point, it was more because of the Kobe injury. It was more because... Even very early on in his career, Mike, 
Kobe wasn't a guy who who missed games due to like trivial stuff. You knew if he actually sat out that he was truly hurt. And this is almost where that myth making began around like Kobe and like being almost like a Wolverine level healer. Right. And that idea that he was going to pretty much play through anything. And so but those were the question marks for me coming into this specific game. It was how healthy was he? How well would would he actually play? Was he going to be ready One of the things I was going to ask you, though, and this is just a totally side topic, is I know that when you were growing up, there was no Timberwolves yet. And so you were a Bulls fan. And so were you rooting for the Lakers in this because of any like was there any residual Pacers hate Reggie Miller hate from your Michael Jordan Bulls fans days? I definitely didn't like Indy 100 percent because of the Bulls days and and because the way that Indy talked about the Chicago was as if they were on their level. And, <laughs> yes. and I always resented that. It's like, no, you're not on their level. In fact, it was like the way the Kings would talk about the Lakers at times, like this rivalry yeah. idea is just like, no, man, like you got to win. You got to do it first. It, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you got to win within the context of beating this team before you could talk about them yeah. as equals in some way, shape, yeah, or form. Yeah, so that always sure. rubbed me the wrong way. And like there, there was always a Mark Jackson quote that bugged me. Reggie... Reggie did it a little bit tongue in cheek. So I kind of, you know, I didn't mind Reggie as much. I still like Reggie to this day. And by the way, Reggie is a sweet guy um, in person. Like he always remembers you and says hello. Like he, I, Reggie's cool. Everybody likes Reggie. The LA kid, man. You see LA yeah, as well. And so, you you know, I know there's probably a soft spot for locals for him. I, I got bit. it. Like I got it with him. But with him, but that's kind of bugged me. And, you know, of course, the coach is Larry Bird, which I'm sure I'm sure was an extra little emphasis for Laker fans. Um, I'm sure yep. Pete had some thoughts on that. You got Rick Carlisle as his sort of lead X's and O's assistant sitting over there. And so that was partly out of my mind. But I also really loved Kobe. And Kobe, to me, was the closest approximation to Jordan. And it wasn't as outward at that time. Remember, this is still, you know, Jordan had just won the title two years prior um, in Utah. And at this point, was still about to come back to Washington. But there was still you could see that some little part of a kinship developing where Jordan and so he he almost seemed like he didn't reject Kobe completely like he did every other young player. And so I was I was definitely rooting for the Lakers uh, in that context going into this, not in the same way that you were. But I, if I if I was picking one, I was rooting for them to win for sure. Yeah, well, I was definitely rooting for the Lakers and I was definitely looking forward to them finally getting over the hump. And this is I think, too. Mike, it's important to contextualize this. I'm not sure if there's a young player who had more coming out parties than Kobe Bryant. Like, and one of the only reasons why that's possible, I think, is because he played for a franchise like the Lakers. And so there was a ton of buzz around him very early on in his career. You know, first preps to pro guard um kg had obviously done it the season before but he was a big man and the history of high school players going straight to the pros was almost always on big guys right and so there was already a buzz around that idea and kobe you know jellybean bryant was was his father and so son of a pro and all this other stuff and then you'd get little flashes of him like oh preseason or summer league he's making a crazy highlight play and then so it's just like oh who is this kid and then it's 
okay, well, look at him. He's like starting an all-star game and he's not even starting for the Lakers yet. And he's winning the dunk contest. And so every single one of these stepping stone moments was another coming out party for Kobe Bryant. But I will say, Mike, that while their relationship specifically with Michael Jordan, while they might have already been fostering some sort of kinship, I still remember there being backlash nationally towards Kobe, or at least this this underpinning, this undercurrent of thought around him as being a bit fake, as being a bit manufactured, as being a bit of a Michael Jordan clone. Like he was a biter. He was someone who was doing Michael Jordan cosplay, right? He was an impersonator. And it was this game, I think, where all of that, I don't want to say it got wiped away, but him coming up big in the way that he did in this game for sort of put him at a level where people respected the hustle yeah. at that point. Like, okay, like you're actually doing it. Like if you're going to say like, I'm going to do the best MJ impression that, that I can. Well, guess what comes with that? Winning well, comes with that. Doing hitting clutch shots comes with that. Right. And so this, I feel like was the one that put him over the top as like the real coming out party of, Oh, you're one of the dudes in the league now. Some of that happened because of the, the way that Kobe was and the way that he would go at all of his veteran teammates and just basically not acknowledge that he was a young guy. It's like, no, what, I'm ready now, guys. I'm ready now, even as a rookie. Or the air balls in Utah helped kind of foment that the way that people looked at him, I think, as you said, because the way that Kobe carried himself and the production wasn't quite matching up yet, but you could see the stepping stones. Quick aside, because I want to get into this game specifically so we can kind of understand why Kobe got to that point and, and why people started to get that thought. Pete isn't with us because he is grinding away on Kobe yes. and Lakers content. And so just follow all of I'm sure you guys all do, but check it out today. Right. Lakers IG, um, Lakers Twitter and the other social channels. So it's it's not just Pete. It's Joey Ramirez. It's Jay Diaz. It's Josh Williams. Um, it's Rowan Braden. Like uh, we got a lot of people cranking. Um, to get all of the Kobe content out there. So I just wanted to shout that out. Now, early in this game, so first of all, Doug Collins is on his game, man. Like Doug Collins clearly talked to all of the coaches. He Every single time a play happens, he knows what's going on. And so they start, the Pacers start going at Kobe early. And Doug's like, yeah, I talked to Rick Carlisle and he said that they want to get Kobe involved in the early defensive action uh, to see how he's moving. And so they're running all these plays out. It's like sometimes analysts will really do their homework like that, but they don't always in the modern day. Right. You don't hear Jeff Van Gundy or Mark Jackson being like, oh, yeah, I talked to um, I talked to Jason Kidd before, you know, game four of the finals Lakers and Heat back in the day. And he said they were going to run this. It's, it's more sort of it's more subtle. So I found that interesting, but clearly that is what was going on. And Kobe was not yet trusting the ankle early. Um, so he started a little bit slow. He was one for four, just two points, two turnovers, two assists in the first quarter. Shaq wasn't hitting his shot yet either. He was one for six. And so the Pacers actually go up by 10. But Darius, Kobe starts to feel better as the game goes on, or at least, at least I don't know if better is the right word. He starts to sort of understand what he can do with the ankle. Yeah. And the way that you just talked about him is so interesting because if you if you would have just dropped in on this game not knowing what was happening, he doesn't look like a 21-year-old kid the way that he might be described. I mean, he he's big, he's explosive, 
He's physical. He's confident. Like this is not an alien watching this would not pick him out to be like, oh yeah, that's the young guy uh, in the game. This is the thing that, and we talked about this earlier on a pod this summer, and it might have been in the aftermath of when of the finals, right? When the the Warriors beat the Celtics, and we've talked about this a fair amount over the course of the summer with. Um, the rumors about Kevin Durant potentially joining the Celtics, right? And this idea of um, trading young for older, right? And potentially Jalen Brown being on the table for for Kevin Durant. But that's all over now, Mike. We'll, and maybe we'll get to that later if uh, we get into some general NBA news. But we we framed some of the Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown stuff around this idea of like, oh, they're so young. Like, like. Oh, they've got a whole decade in front of them. But you know who actually was young? It's Kobe Bryant was young. Kobe Bryant was like, oh, you're, you could barely legally drink now while you're playing in these finals games, right? It's like, imagine if Taylor Horton Tucker, because that's basically how old Kobe was. Like, that was this season for him. Imagine THT being one of like the top five or six players in the entire well, league. Yeah, he, dude, he was all NBA second team that year. It, yeah, it's and like all defensive, all defensive first team. So you're a top five or six player in the league, right? And so when you're saying all NBA second team, when you're also then first team all defense, you're one of the elite players. So here's the first. So here's the first team, all NBA first team: Jason Kidd, Gary Payton, Shaq, KG, Tim Duncan. That's a squad. Second team, Grant Hill, Carl Malone, Alonzo Mourning, Allen Iverson, Kobe Bryant. So the third team, guys that they left off, Eddie Jones, Stephen Marbury, David Robinson, Chris Webber, and Vince Carter. So think of it this way, Mike. Kobe's the best shooting guard in the game. So he made second team All-NBA, but the first, the two guards on the first team were both point guards. He is the elite shooting guard in the league. And shout out to Eddie Jones, third team, former Laker as well. So you're right, Kobe, and this was where I said this a long time ago, but Kobe's career to me is like Pulp Fiction. How, you know how Pulp Fiction just jumped around a lot. It's just like, it didn't start at the beginning, like the movie starts and it's in the middle and then, or it's near the end and then they jump back and then, okay, three quarters of the way through the movie, you're at the beginning and and to me, that's how Kobe's career was. It was almost like another sort of time reversal movie. It was almost like Benjamin Button. Most young players do not come into the league on a team that is already supposed to be a title contender. But that's what Kobe had to do. So he had to grow up fast because the prospects of what his team was trying to do required a level of maturity from, from him that he wasn't going to get the four, five, six seasons in order to like work out all the kinks from from his game and be ready to win a championship in year seven or year eight, the way that Michael Jordan was or the way that Shaquille O'Neal was or even the way that LeBron James was. Kobe had to play on a high level team from the very beginning. And then at the end of his career, that was when he played on like lesser teams 
and teams that weren't ready to win. And he had to use a different part of his skill set and leadership in order to bring that team along. But you're right. When you look into this game, he is one of the youngest players on the court, if not the youngest player on the court, but he's carrying himself like a 10, 12-year veteran, the guy who understands what it's going to take to win. So let's take a break here. And when we come back on the other side, we'll dive more into the nature of the game and how this specific game evolved. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, so I got a kick out of, I was watching the NBC broadcast and they used two sideline reporters at the time, both very accomplished, Ahmad Rashad, of course, uh, the great Ahmad Rashad, Vikings wide receiver, who then went on to become Michael Jordan's best friend and knew everything inside stuff uh, where he was dominating on as well, which anybody our age, you know, gets a, a kick out of that reference. So Jim Gray, though, comes back with a report and apparently Ron Harper had made a comment the day before. And he quotes him, he goes, it's a nice roof, lots of interesting banners, but no championship banners. And they're not going to get one here either unless they steal one from some other team. So Grace then details Mark Jackson's response, quote, it's garbage. It's just absolute garbage. We don't need that for motivation. We're going to beat them without the quotes, end quote. Um, So I enjoyed just hearing that in the context of knowing, right, that the Lakers were going to win the game in the series. And it's like, well, no, it's not what's going to happen, Mark. And especially because... Doug Collins later goes at Mark Jackson's defense explicitly 
And and he says, I, I have to scroll down for uh, for this quote. He says, Jackson is not a good defender um, after Kobe torches him, which Kobe did multiple times uh, in the game. And he also went at Reggie Miller and was torching him. So I, I just wanted to get those quotes in there and now, and now progress a little bit in the game. So Shaq is just crushing Indy on the offensive glass. And they're not running a ton through him. But look, Rick Smiths is scoring on Shaq in one sense, but of course he can't defend him. Uh, and then they're having to guard. They're having to put like Dale Davis on him or, or even at times Sam Perkins and Shaq. He gets a couple of his little, you know, his little right handed kind of baby hooks to go. But for the most part, he's just physically like this is still Shaq b- before he got even that much bigger. He's jumping. He's moving across the pain. He's bodying dudes out of the way. And he's focused Darius. like he's not later. It got into the whole Kobe Shaq thing. And part of that was because Kobe got annoyed with Shaq's. Um, lack of per- perhaps motivation in the offseason, but like Shaq was on it uh, in this series. Mike, this was the year Shaq won league MVP. So this was his lone MVP season as a player in terms of regular season. He would, of course, win three finals MVPs, including this one. And so while you could argue which one of these years is peak Shaq, right? Because the next season he destroys Philadelphia and it can be Matumbo. And then the next year he destroys the Nets. And, and so this three-year run of Shaq is he is truly the most, the most unstoppable physical force I think I've ever seen. As Let me give you his regular event. season number. So first of all, so he plays 79 games, um, which is big for him. It's the most that he would play other than his first two years in Orlando when he played 81. So 29.7 points on 57% shooting, 13.6 boards, 3.8 assists, 3.0 blocks. Okay, so three, 3.0 blocks is a lot. <laughs> that's, that's a lot. That's a lot of blocks. And then that's just his regular season stats. So his postseason stats are... Mike, before oh yeah. you go into the numbers there, minutes per game, what was his minutes per game? Do you have that? Yes. Um, I just clicked into playoffs. So minutes per game, I think it was 40, dude. Yeah. 40.0. Wow. Yes. Yeah. For, wow. I only asked because yeah, I knew that, the answer. That does put the numbers in the context to, a little bit more, too, because I'm like, man, that's a lot of rebounds and a lot of blocks. But it's like, oh, 40. So he's playing maybe seven more minutes per game than you would expect. Than you would expect, or at least five, yeah, like four to five, at least yeah. for like yeah. at that level of his career, right? Like you would probably expect him to be in the 35 to 36 minute range. But Phil Jackson challenged him, Mike, to come into the season in the best shape of his life. And he told him, I'm going to play you a ton. You're going to play, right? And so Shaq rose to that challenge. And Phil was just like, 40 minutes. And think of how many times. They were blowing out teams. And so he's playing 40 minutes a night on average over the course of a season when they won, what, 65 games? So Phil was definitely not of the load management vibe. He's just like, oh, I'm I'm throwing my big fella out there. He's playing 40 minutes a night. And Shaq was killing. You know what strikes me there, too, though? So first of all, Shaq gets credit for that. Like, boom, he gets credit for that. He did it. It's on his resume. He did it. And it, it should be noted sometimes when we reflect back upon Shaq's career, right? And you don't do this. I think you're careful to, to do this. But I think those of us that didn't watch it as closely that sort of think about Shaq as this, oh, well, he could have been so much better. You know, the way that like the way that Bill Simmons might describe his career, like, like from afar, like a but he did have these years um, where he was on it and they count like they, they get banked. 
Now, it also underscores that he didn't have those years at times, and that's the counterargument. But I want to give Phil credit for that, though, because how many guys in the world, and, and I think part of this was Phil tells the story about, and it's on the Hulu doc, when he brings Shaq to Montana, and he somehow gets him out there, and he challenges him to, like, I'm going to get the story wrong, but move some dock by himself or something or, or some boat or he drags something around or I don't know what it is, something in Montana and Shaq kind of rises to the challenge. But to get your big man to do that, that is coaching, right? That is, it's not, it's not X's and O's. That's finding a way. What is the, what is the way for this team to go over the top and to win? And Phil Jackson's spending the whole summer thinking about it. He's like, well, I got to get the big guy firing. And how do I do that? Like, that's not an easy thing to do. So just shout out to Phil Jackson. I think this is the proper context too, Mike, to get back to Kobe a little bit, because this was undoubtedly Shaq's team. And Kobe was looked at as the up and comer and he was looked at as a star. And they were and they as a duo were looked at as one of, if not the top pairing in the entire league. But that was always Shaq was the buoy for that. It, it it was Shaq and then it was a couple of steps and then it was Kobe, right? Now that probably led to some of the harboring of, if not resentment, then probably them button heads some, right? But that's why as this game evolved and Kobe started to feel himself a little bit more and started to understand what his limitations were and then where he could play on the edges of those limitations and push himself a little bit more. That's where him really elevating himself. And when you look at it in, in hindsight, this being again, another one of those moments where he truly comes out the other side as like this fully formed, Oh, you're at that level. Now it's, it's this game for me. On the other end of this game and this series where Phil Jackson, to go back to another Phil Jackson point, where Phil said, you know what we did back in 1990 when I was coaching the Bulls and we played the Lakers is I put Scottie Pippen on Magic Johnson in order to be the defensive force that was going to disrupt what the Lakers were trying to do offensively. Phil then deployed Kobe in the same way, put Kobe on Mark Jackson in order to have him start to shut down the Pacers attack offensively and make them play deeper into the shot clock and and really pressure his handle and not let Mark Jackson as an offensive player. He was not an outside shooting player. He was more of a post up guard, even though he was a smaller guard. So Kobe took all that stuff away. Right. And so Kobe then is this two way force in this series that I think builds on the idea that he was a well-deserved first team defensive player. But also then as we get into the second half of this game, Mike, his offense started to come a little bit more, too. Right. I want to say in the defense for a second, though, because this is part of my whole philosophy and like why I like guys now. It comes up through this Jordan and Kobe, and we think about all the points, but they always defended. Now, late, way later in their career, day-to-day, regular season, post-Achilles for Kobe, like, I get it. But I'm saying for the most part of their, their careers, they always defended while they were still this focal point of the offense. And there are so few guys that can do that, so few guys that are 
competitive enough and care enough and demanding enough of themselves to be able to be dominant two-way players. And you can just see that watching Kobe play in these games. And you can see Phil Jackson, who, by the way, is about 6'10", 6'11", just thinking, I don't need to have small guys out there other than putting fish out on occasion. And fish isn't as small. Like, fish is smaller, but he's tough. He bullies through screens. You know, he plays bigger um, than his size defensively, I'm saying. And then he gives you a little pop on offense. And Fish had some really nice moments in this game, by the way, offensively. But it's it's the same way when we talk about the current Laker team and, like, last year's team as compared to the title team when the Lakers won in 1920, where they were basically doing that Phil model of not playing a small guy almost at all. And it, it really does give you an advantage with the 10-foot rim. And so you could just see this imposing on the Pacers where there isn't a spot to attack. Like, they, Reggie has to hit these ridiculous contested fadeaway threes uh, in the fourth quarter to kind of keep them in the game. And to now transition to what Kobe's doing offensively, Darius, and how beautiful his game is, there isn't really a great defense for Kobe. And in the same way that there was for Jordan, because, okay, you want to, you want to double it. Well, you can't double him. Shaq's on the floor. And of course, Shaq had such a great uh, impact on that. You can't, you can't play him one-on-one. I don't care if it's, they tried Reggie, they tried Mark Jackson. They tried, they didn't really have like a great big athletic wing who could slide down. They had some other guys like McKee and Dale Davis, but no, they put Jalen Rose on well, him. Jalen yeah. Rose sprained his ankle, right? But I mean, that, Rose was like, on him at times too. But yeah, Rose and, and Rose, of course, is a bigger wing, but not defensively, not athletically, not sliding his feet. That wasn't his thing. And so Kobe's just, he can, at any point, he can bring out to the perimeter. He can just rise over you for a jump shot and he's got a great jump shot. Guess what else he can do? Even on a bum ankle, he can drive right by you and he'll either get all the way to the rim and finish or guess who's waiting for that kind of Kobe assist at this time. It was Shaq later. It would be Bynum or Pau Gasol and Phil Jackson was always cognizant of that. So he, the Pacers didn't have an answer for him by game four. Usually you have a way that you're going to defend players and you can just tell Larry Burgess over there. Like, I mean, I hope the ankle is hurt because like we can't with by, by having to account for Shaq, there isn't much to do with Kobe and he started to take advantage of that. So, Talk to me a little bit more then about the flow of this game, because I haven't had a chance to rewatch this game yet. But now that we're talking about it, I think I will go back yeah. and fire up the YouTube machine and see if I can, uh, you, you know, bring it up and maybe cast it to my big TV. And uh, you got to hit the, you got to hit the skip, uh, skip ad like 75 times, you know, while watching on YouTube is never ideal. But so, all right, so picking it up in the third quarter, because we talked most about the first half later in, in Indy has a 54-51 lead heading into halftime. Now, Fisher makes two key plays late in the second quarter because Phil is sitting both Kobe and Shaq with three fouls. So foul trouble, obviously, uh, becoming an issue. Now, And it's an issue later in this game as well, which is what leads to it being a Kobe game. That's right. Kobe actually picks up his fourth foul right away in the third quarter. And and so if you're just watching at the time, it's it's not just Shaq is the one that's going to end up being the, you know, the foul trouble guy. But Kobe picks up his fourth and Phil decides, you know what, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to ride with him. A lot of times that's a, that's a quick yank, right, from a coach, especially in a game like this. And Phil keeps him in. Larry Bird says, let's go right. Well, it's either Larry Bird or maybe Mark Jackson makes the decision himself. But they go right at Kobe with Mark Jackson on a post-up. And so Mark Jackson's doing his, like, his sticking the butt out, bumping down, bumping down. Kobe's got his hands in the air. They get close to the rim. Jackson rises to try this little hook shot. Kobe just packs it. Like, nope. 
I can still do that without get, without drawing a foul. And it's just a significant moment to me because it shows Indy. It shows Larry Bird. It shows Mark Jackson. Yeah, I know I have four fouls, but you can't. No, 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 no. You're not going to do that to me. I, this isn't going to work. Don't try to come at me for another foul. I'm just going to block the shot. Like he was, he was athletic enough to be able to handle that. So that's the first foul trouble thing that I noted. And then Kobe goes down on the other end, blows by Jackson um, and for a pull-up J. And then he hits a little running semi-hook shot over Smith's. And the Lakers are within one point all of a sudden. This is where, in taking a step back, understanding the brilliance of so many of the parties involved, right? And so first, Phil Jackson, showing the trust in the player, which is basically a gut call. Like, it really is a, even if I trust you to not foul, do I trust that you're actually still going to defend, right? And not just be the matador that gives up driving lanes, that stops competing on that end of the floor. So Phil had to trust that Kobe was going to be that. Check. But Phil also just has to think, well, is he just going to end up in a bad position and just get a ticky-tack one where it's just like, oh, he's late or he's late on in a rotation or he gambles and reaches in when he's not supposed to. There's a certain level of trust that you need to have in the player discipline as well. So Phil deciding, I'm going to go with my gut here and stick with Kobe is that's just classic Phil. He would do it a lot at the team level, too, where he wouldn't take timeouts when the other team was making a run. A sort of I trust you to figure it out sort of coach, which is something I always appreciated about him. Then the brilliance of Kobe to actually be focused, disciplined and maintain the level of competitiveness that was needed in those moments to say, no, 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 no. Sure, I've got these four fouls, but that just means I'm going to focus more. It means that my discipline even has to go up to level 15 instead of at level 9 or level 10. It's already an NBA Finals game, but I need to be double that level in order to really be in the moment and make the plays that I know need to be made without putting my team in jeopardy. This was what was so fun in watching the game back. And this was his whole vibe, though. The whole game was like... I'm having fun here. I've been through this before in my mind since I was a kid. You're not phasing me. This is great. And in his walk off, and this will make more sense as we get into the full context, but this is just, I think, an appropriate time to get it. Um, Kobe's quote directly to Ahmad Rashad is the game just became an awful lot more interesting than it was after Shaq filed out. It was just fun for me. I laughed about it, went out and played relaxed as if I were in the backyard. And this. There's a little bit to Kobe, I think, where he kind of knows how that's going to play, right? But it's it's such a, oh, here's this kid. He's, he's 20. He's so confident that he's actually like, ooh, Shaq's out. My time. It, Opportunity. My time. Instead Opportunity of like, oh, no, rocks. you know, we're screwed. He's like, nope. Uh, and, and that tells you a little bit something about Kobe, too. And about, so, But <clears throat> let's rewind because to get to that point, <clears throat> so first of all, Shaq was kicking Indy's ass, uh, it, despite not, you know, not even having his most efficient offensive night. So when he picks up his fourth foul late in the third, he's got 20, 17, and two blocks at that point already. And seven offensive rebounds. So while Shaq is resting, though, um, Kobe starts to go to work a little more. He's, he's, he's not looking hesitant anymore on the ankle. And so he gets, he gets 10 points in the third quarter, and Phil buys Kobe 
two minutes of rest to start the fourth. But in those two minutes, Indy starts to pick up. And Phil looks down to the bench. Get back in there, bro. I know you're not tired. You know, no, 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 no. So Kobe gets in. And it's amidst, though, Indy's rhythm is picked up. And so they go on a 12-2 run, back-to-back threes, Miller and Sam Perkins. The Miller one was just a tough shot, give him credit. The Sam Perkins one, that was more of a like, all right, prove it. Like, we're going we're gonna to bring our attention over to Reggie Miller uh, and to some of the other options. Travis Best had been going pretty well at that point. OG name, Travis Best. Dude, Travis Best, and he was, he was just so quick that he would get to his spot. You know, and you weren't going to be able to do much about it. Yeah. And it was just like kind of a make or miss thing. But with those type of players are important in these types of games sometimes because your A action isn't going to work. And so you need to have that B or that that guy that can just create. So but immediately after that 12-2 run, here come Co- Shaq and Kobe score all the points in an 8-2 run. They reclaim the lead. And it's Shaq now for the next five or six minutes that it's just scoring repeatedly. And so Shaq's working his way all of a sudden. He's getting up into the 30s and Miller still hitting, though, drills a pair of threes around a reverse layup and keeping the Pacers in it. So uh, now we're getting down to crunch time. Minute 39 left. Shaq, he starts eight for 10 from the free throw line. And remember, Darius, games one and two, he missed like 37 free throws or something. Amazing. A lot. Amazing number of free throws. A lot. He missed a lot of free throws. And they won both games, though. And that was with Kobe. That was with Kobe getting injured in the second one. So he goes two for seven. For the rest of the game. And that's when they start running stuff more through Kobe. And it's a pull-up jumper that puts the Lakers up 102-101. Then there's a stop. And Kobe feeds Shaq inside. Shaq splits the pair to put the Lakers up two. Uh, Meanwhile, I noticed this stat in NBC. Guess what the Lakers plus-minus was when Robert Ory was in the game. Up up to this point of the series. I bet it's Alex Caruso level (laughs) plus-minus. Plus 41 (laughs) to that point in the series. So it's like... And this is game... Four, right? And yeah, so yeah. it's just like he's an average of plus 10 a game, basically. Amazing. Big shot, man. I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him that stat uh, when we do our first Spectrum broadcast this year. So then, though, if, if you recall, do you recall how Indy tied the game? Because Ori hit a pair of free throws there that put the Lakers up. Or no, sorry, he split a pair that put the Lakers up three. I don't. If Pete was here, I okay. bet Pete would because, you know, he's got this so encyclopedia. A former Laker who was on who was on a team in the early 90s when they played against the Bulls in the finals. Um, I mentioned this game earlier. Big man on the floor uh, to space the floor to try to keep Shaq out of the paint. Sam Perkins rises up and drills a three. Big smooth. That ties ties the game with 35 seconds left. Yeah. And, the, you know, he's got that. He's got that quick release too with the lefty. Yeah. Where the form even looks kind of weird, but he gets the nice spin on the ball. So he swishes a three, and from that point on, Travis Best actually gets Shaq. I don't think the Pacers thought the Lakers were going to switch, and he gets Shaq in a switch, does the step back, and he just, I don't know if Shaq's giant volume um, makes him not see the rim. Is, is he's, he's just not used to getting Shaq isoed. That would have been the thing that teams would do, by the way, in today's game. Yep. They, would have been, they would have been getting Shaq switched over the whole game. Instead, they're letting Shaq hide on Dale Davis who's like sitting on the perimeter, which is why they put Perkins in. So there's a whole nother element to this about how different modern coaches would attack this some, but anyway, overtime. So getting to overtime, Shaq fouls out after the, the Ori, Ori scores twice first. So the Lakers get a little bit in control. They're up by four, but Shaq fouls out with two thirty to go. 
Um, and you remember the play that he did it on, I'm sure. Yes, it was. So you had mentioned earlier that Shaq had been killing the Pacers on the offensive glass. I'm not sure how many offensive rebounds he ended up with, but Shaq. Seven. So yeah. Shaq been killing. And so missed shot. I can't remember who who took took the shot, but I remember the ball sort of sprayed to the left side of the floor. And Rick Smith is going up for the rebound and Shaq sort of climbs up there with him and attacks the ball. And Shaq is just so big that he bodies Smiths, but he gets the ball. And then the whistle blows and Shaq is upset. He is big bad because he's like, I got the damn ball. What are you even calling here? And I remember in the moment, I was furious. Now, on the rewind and in subsequent reviews, you you understand why they called the foul. Shaq just bodied the hell out of Smith and and got yeah. to the rebound, right? Like it was he, good contact, he, yeah. he he was just bigger and stronger and he just moved him. In the moment yeah. as a fan, you don't quite see it that way, but in in yeah. hindsight, you do. And so there it is, Shaq's sixth foul. And the Pacers probably feel like they have some life in that moment, right? They do, but so this is where, so we already talked about how Kobe's mindset kicks in here, but it's not just that. It's also that Kobe was used to getting the basketball in these situations anyway, right? Tight game, other team might be fouling Shaq, Kobe initiating from the perimeter. So it wasn't some uncommon ground. He had already been attacking them one-on-one. He had, they didn't have a guy that could defend him, right? So, so he's, Kobe's like, I know what's going to happen here. I'm going to get either Miller or Mark Jackson over on me, and then I'm just going to, if they're going to play way off me, then I'm just going to rise up and hit jumpers. That's what he did. So the first one, he doesn't even pass the ball. Miller's on him, crosses Reggie, steps back, long two, swish. Then he does the first kind of, under. I got this, under control motion with his hands and his kind of, it just looking like as cocky and as confident as possible. And Laker fans had to be just loving it. So uh, then they get a stop on the other end. Uh, Bryant, Bryant comes down. And has the, how good is this kid from Bob Costas, right? Uh, uh, the highlight real play. And this is where having picked on M- Miller the previous trip, this time Mark Jackson come, uh, comes over and just, I don't know what Mark's doing. He kind of goes under a screen and just doesn't quite get up. And Kobe just jumps straight up into the air. Easy jumper for him. Could have been a three uh, and puts the Lakers up three, 116, 113. Then Kobe a play that's not remembered comes down into the paint on the other end swats Austin Crozier um, who was in because of foul trouble for the Pacers. And that helps maintain the three point cushion. Things get a little bit hairy late. Like the Rick Fox actually fouls a Pacer um, on before the inbounds play, which gives Reggie a free throw. And then Reggie comes up short on a three that would have won the game. That was probably a little bit too close for comfort. But um, afterwards I asked Kevin Ding for his reaction at the time in the arena. And this is his quote that he texted back to me. That was the coming out party for Kobe's poise. No one at the time fully understood how locked in he could be compared to everyone else. His late. Okay. And I, I'm setting this up for the, for the tip in, right. But his late putback layup happened when Reggie Miller was so lost and overwhelmed that he was boxing out his own teammate when Kobe calmly read the play and made the play. So Lakers were at this point up by one and Brian Shaw gets the ball. Kobe's trying to get it. And Reggie actually does a good job of denying him the, the basketball, right? And instead, Shaw has to basically take a tough runner to his right. And while everyone else is still watching the ball, Kobe is already in the air and does this kind of control tip off the glass and in. 
And and that's the play that Ding was talking about there. So I'm I'm sure you recall that one as well. I totally do. And With it, five seconds left, by the way. Sorry, five five seconds left in the game. Yeah, totally do. And it's not the only big tip of of Kobe's career. He had one, I believe, two against the Spurs, where he had a really big putback in a playoff series against them. And the thing that will always stand out to me about Kobe in terms of just one of the his many great qualities was his nose for the ball and the variety of shots and ways that he would score. And obviously you don't climb up the scoring ladder the way that he did without a nose for the ball and an ability to put the ball in the basket and all of these different shots. But watching him over the course of his entire career, it was just one of the more amazing things that he would do on any given night, just like, oh my God, like how do, did he make that shot? How how did he even try it? How did he even get to that loose ball? And Kevin Ding, he said it best. This was his coming out party in terms of his poise and that demeanor. And it was a full circle moment for him. Like three years earlier, it was the air balls against Utah and they get swept. And now he's hitting clutch shots to win an NBA finals game that basically puts them up three, one and closes out the series essentially. And Kobe was great at capitalizing on those moments, the moments that would not close the coffin entirely, but basically like here's the three extra nails that now we've got three games to win one. Like we're in position now. And that to me was an understated part of Kobe's greatness. It was the understanding in those moments of how he could elevate his team and put them that much closer where the difference between three, one and two, two is massive in a playoff series. And they did it right there. And so I, that sequence just to clarify, right? So he has the block and crochet um, then the lead goes down to one after Rick Smith gets two free throws, right? That's one with five seconds left. Kobe tips in the ball. Then you have the whole sequence of the foul Rick Fox, grab somebody out of bounds. Reggie gets the free throw and then gets a nice th- a three off with a good play from Larry Bird. But it comes off. Kobe goes over, um, jumps into Shaq's arms. Shaq is actually interviewed after Kobe. And I, I mentioned before uh, what Kobe said. Kobe starts by saying, in our mind, this was the championship. We knew they were going to come out with a lot of energy. We just wanted to keep it close and make a nice little run. That, by the way, is playoff basketball on the road. Like, And Kobe already knew that at that age. Like The other team, they're going to compete. They're going to play even if you're better. But just keep it tight. You know they can't stop you late. You and Shaq find a way to get it done. In this case, Shaq's on the bench. The last thing, so I I mentioned Shaq's quote, right? He says, I fouled out. Kobe Bryant took over. He's a fabulous player. I'm glad he's back. Pauses. Now, uno mas to go. Of course, the Lakers go on to win game five, 116-111, win the first of their their three straight titles, and uh, they start to build into the Kobe-Shaq history book. So, it was a pleasure to watch this game. I encourage anybody, you can look it up, or you, if you want to, you can just read my retro running diary that will be up on the website. Uh, shout out to Pete for doing all the work that he's been doing uh, around Kobe Day and Darius. The, the thing about Kobe Day, man, I could be picking great games of his uh, until I'm 100. You know, there's a, there's, there's, there's a good one for every year. So many moments. Rest in peace to Kobe. Also, shout out to my brother. Rest in peace to my brother who shares a birthday with Kobe Bryant. And it's Mamba Day, Mike. So throw on a pair of sweet Kobe's and Had the Grinch was on for the studio hey, show Dad. last night. So I got some purple joints that I'm going to rock today. Some 
some low top fly knit ones. And so even though you see me right now on video, no one else can see me, but I'm rocking purple tie, right? And I'm going to have some sneakers on. And, and so this is what Hold it up. is today. Happy Kobe Bryant Day, 824. All right. Shout out to Darius's brother and to Kobe uh, on Mama Day. And uh, thanks for listening to LFR. We will see you next time uh, with Pete back. All right. Appreciate it. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Shot with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe, hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the score. move. Two, one, miss it! It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes! And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.